discover the inherent power of God in you. Whether there are challenges or not, we are still the same. We are constant. God is constant. God does not change. And that is the life that we have received. He says Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. That is the same life we have also received. We are also the same yesterday, today, and forever. What kind of life? We, we, we are the same because we have the same life with Christ. So when you think about God, think about you. Because everything he is, that is why he told Abraham, he said, I am your, your exceeding great reward. God gave himself as a reward to Abraham. And we are the seed of Abraham. Therefore, we have inherited God himself. Listen to Pastor Oti Boatim as Christ is magnified in you. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Lift up your hands and just glorify God. We thank you, Father. Thank you, Jesus. 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 Thank you. Blessed Holy Spirit, we acknowledge your presence in our midst. We acknowledge your headship, your leadership, your guidance, your anointing, your glory, your revealing ministry, your prophetic ministry. We acknowledge you, your testifying ministry. Thank you that you are leading and guiding. Thank you for the spirit of wisdom and revelation. We are never the same. We are transformed. Father, thank you. Your word is edible. Your word is nourishing. And we are fed. Thank you, Father. In Jesus' name. Amen. Can you please be seated? Hallelujah. Praise God. I'm excited to be here. How about you? When I knew I was coming to Tesaros, I couldn't wait. I couldn't wait. Yeah, one month was too long. <laughs> At last it has come. Because I know I've come home. I've come home. You have the loveliest bishop in the world. <laughs> Yes. Simple down to earth. Yeah. Simple down to earth. Full of love, full of care. Yeah. And if you don't love Bishop, then uh, there's a problem with your love. <laughs> Hallelujah. Bishop, thank God for your life and for the obedience of faith. Yeah. Yes. Wherever I am, I talk about Bishop. Bishop. Just talk about him. He's so lovely, can't stop talking about him. Yeah. Hallelujah. <laughs> we are really grateful. Yeah. I, I can just imagine what will happen in 10 years' time. Hallelujah. Yeah. By that time, Bishop is a Bishop of Bishops. 
<laughs> and the impact this ministry is making will be everywhere under the sun we give God the praise and glory shall we appreciate Bishop and thank God for his life yeah. hallelujah. hallelujah thank you very much can you please be seated yeah so Bishop already mentioned my wife and the yeah, isn't she beautiful? Yeah. Yeah. Too beautiful. Yeah. And all my team, all the wonderful brethren, thank you. And the sisters too, thank you. Hallelujah. I ready for God's word. I wanted to pay attention on what we are going to do today, the message. Yeah. I'm speaking on what I call the drama of the ages. <laughs> the drama of the ages. Alright, the drama of the ages. And then um, the drama of the ages. Tell someone the drama of the ages. Alright. Basically, the drama of the ages has to do with righteousness. It has to do with God's justice. God's justice. Which is also called righteousness. Righteousness. If you understand righteousness, you understand the Bible. Yeah. Because righteousness is the biggest word in the entire New Testament. Actually, righteousness is the most important subject in the entire New Testament. Everything is based on it. Everything is based on it. All right. In Matthew chapter 16, Matthew chapter 16, verse 17, and he answered and said, Unto him, blessed art thou, Simon Bajona, for flesh and blood hath not revealed it unto thee, but my Father which is in heaven. Verse 18 said, And I say unto thee, thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. So Jesus said, thou art Peter, I say unto thee, you are Peter, upon this rock I will build my church. The rock referred to Jesus himself. And the gate of hell or of Hades shall not prevail against it. So actually, Jesus said, Thou art Petrus. Upon this Petra, I'll build my church. The rock there, have you ever stumbled on a stone before? You, you thought you could kick the stone, but you realized that beneath that small stone was a, a gigantic stone underneath the earth. That is what Jesus was describing. Peter is a stone founded on the rock. The real stone, which is Christ. Okay, so Christ is the stone. The word rock also means stone. He is the stone. Praise God. Isaiah chapter 28. The book of Isaiah chapter 28, verse 16. Therefore, behold, I lay, therefore, thus says the Lord God, behold, I lay in Zion for a foundation, a stone. A tri stone, a precious cornerstone, a sure foundation, 
and he that believe, believeth shall not make haste. That word means shall not be ashamed. He that believeth shall not make haste. For that's, so this is a prophecy as I gave. For that says the Lord, behold, I lay in Zion for a foundation a stone. Now this is what Jesus, is, Jesus spoke of to Peter. The stone that will be laid. As I prophesied that 700 years before time. Behold, I, I lay in Zion for a foundation a stone. A tried stone. A precious cornerstone. A sure foundation. That means that Jesus is the foundation on which we will build our lives. You understand? All your life is built on that foundation. Your finances, your marriage, your business, ministry, your career, everything, parenting, is on that foundation. Because he says it is a tried foundation. Tried foundation means that foundation has been proven. It's proven to be correct. Jesus is a proof. He is tested and tried and found as true. Yeah. Precious cornerstone. That's it. The cornerstone, all the weight of the building is on the cornerstone. In those days, when the cornerstone is laid rightly, the building will be in the right angle. The right proportion. So everything... It's prophesied that Jesus becomes our foundation for everything. Hallelujah. All right. Now, Apostle Paul explained this foundation. What is this foundation? Romans chapter 9, 30 to 33. Romans chapter 9, 30 to 33. What shall we say then? That the Gentiles which followed not after righteousness <laughs> have attained unto righteousness, even the righteousness which is of faith. But Israel, which followed after the law of righteousness, hath not attained to the law of righteousness. Wherefore, because they sought it not by faith, but as it were by the works of the law, for they stumbled at the stumbling stone. The next verse. As it is written, Behold, I lay in Zion a stumbling stone and a rock of offense, and whosoever believeth on him shall not be ashamed. This is a quotation from Paul. Paul is now quoting from Isaiah. But look at the context, Paul explains it. He says that the Gentiles which followed not after righteousness have attained unto righteousness. That is us. But Israel that followed the law of righteousness have not attained to the law of righteousness. Then he said, why is this so? Wherefore? Because they sought it not by faith, but by works. And he says, they stumbled at a stumbling stone. They stumbled. As it is written, behold, I lay in Zion for a foundation a stone. But our Paul calls it a stumbling stone. And he that believeth shall not be ashamed. What is that stone? In a general sense, the stone is Christ, but not in a specific sense, as Paul explains it. In a specific sense, what is that stone? The stone is Christ, our righteousness. <laughs> because Israel got there. Jesus came. They wanted to be righteous. 
but they wanted to be righteous by their own deeds and their own behavior and their own works. So the stone that should have been their foundation of righteousness, rather they fell because they were seeking the righteousness their own. Praise God. Instead of taking that stone as their righteousness. The next chapter. The whole thing is about righteousness. Brethren, my desire, my heart desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they might be saved. The next verse. For I bear them record that they have zeal, a zeal of God, but not according to knowledge. If you go to Israel, hmm, if you go to what is called the Wailing Wall, and you see them praying, these guys have zeal. You can see that they are moving their head. They are moving their body. How many, how many of you have seen that before? They are praying and praying and praying. Look at what the Bible says. The next verse. For they being ignorant of God's righteousness are going about to establish their own righteousness. Have not submitted themselves to the righteousness of God. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness for everyone that believeth. So that stone, they stumbled because they still wanted their own righteousness. But that stone is Christ our righteousness. Brethren, the foundation for the church is Christ our righteousness. That is the stone God has laid in Zion. That is the stone. Say, Christ is my righteousness. Christ is my righteousness. You see, the gospel is all about righteousness. Romans 1 verse 16 and 17 says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. For it is the power of God unto salvation for everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and to the Gentiles. For therein, for therein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith as it is written. The just shall live by faith. So, what is the gospel? He said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. Because it is the power of God unto salvation for everyone that believes. And he said, for therein is the righteousness of God revealed. So the gospel is the revelation of the righteousness of God. So if you claim to have preached the gospel and you have not preached the righteousness of God, you have not preached the gospel. Now what is the proof that you are preaching the gospel? Righteousness of God. Because the gospel reveals the righteousness of God. For therein, for in there, for therein is the righteousness of God revealed. So the gospel is the revelation of the righteousness of God. The message of the gospel is the righteousness of God. The gospel is the good news. But what is the news of the good news? The news is the righteousness of God. Hallelujah. So have you preached the gospel? What did you preach? The righteousness of God. That's it. That's the gospel. Hallelujah. Why is righteousness important? There are three major gifts in the New Testament. Three major gifts. <laughs> Eternal life, righteousness, and the Holy Spirit. These are the major gifts God gave us when we receive Jesus. The eternal life is one. And righteousness, then the gift of the Holy Spirit. It will surprise you to know that of these three major gifts, eternal life, righteousness, the Holy Spirit. Eternal life, we receive eternal life and we receive the Holy Spirit because of righteousness. (laughs) 
Without righteousness, we could not have received eternal life. Without righteousness, we could not have received the Holy Spirit. So if Christ be in you, though the body be dead because of sin, yet the spirit is life because of righteousness. Romans 8 verse 10. <laughs> the reason you have the life of the spirit in you is even because of righteousness. Praise God. If God's justice was not satisfied, there was no way, way you could have eternal life. If God's justice was not satisfied, there was no way <laughs> you could have had the Holy Ghost. Hallelujah. So righteousness is cardinal. It's very important. In Isaiah chapter 45, 43 to 45, look at what it says. Isaiah 45, 23 to 25. I have sworn by myself the word has gone out of my mouth in righteousness and shall not retain. That unto me every knee shall bow and every tongue shall swear. The word swear means confess. The next verse. Surely shall one say, or surely shall one confess, in the Lord have our righteousness and strength. Even unto him shall men come and all that are angry against him, incensed against him shall be ashamed. In the Lord shall all the seed of Israel be justified. <laughs> and shall glory. See, they are glorying. Okay, so turn with me to the book of Philippians chapter 2, 9 and 10. In the Lord shall all the seed of Israel be justified. And shall glory. The Hebrew says, they shall sing in glory. They shall sing in praise. Alright, now... Look at what we read, verse 23 again. I have sworn by myself that word has gone out of my, of my mouth in righteousness and shall not return. That unto me every knee shall bow and every tongue shall sway. When was this fulfilled? When was this fulfilled? Philippians chapter 2, 9 and 10. It says, Every knee shall bow and every tongue shall sway or shall confess. Philippians 2.9, wherefore God also has highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name. That at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow. Not shall bow. It's not talking about the future. Should. It's a solemn decree. Should bow. Of things in heaven and on earth and in earth and things under the earth. Now this is prophesied by Isaiah 700 years before it happened. The next verse. And that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Now, Paul says that <laughs> every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. But that's not how Isaiah said it. So Paul is also interpreting by the Holy Ghost what Isaiah said. Praise God. Paul said, Isaiah said, every knee should bow. Understand? Aha. Uh -huh. Then he said, every tongue should confess that Jesus is Lord. But what did Isaiah say, which Paul interpreted that every tongue should confess that Jesus is Lord? Back to Isaiah. Now look at Isaiah, what Isaiah said. I have sworn by myself, okay, the word is gone out of my mouth in righteousness and shall not return unto me. Shall every knee, shall, every knee shall bow. You see, Jesus is Jehovah. And every tongue shall swear. Now Paul continued by saying, and every tongue shall confess. But what did Isaiah say? Surely shall one say, 
In the Lord have I righteousness. Praise God. In the early church, they understood that they didn't make a distinction between saying, Jesus is my Lord and Jesus is my righteousness. Check history is the same. In fact, when they said Jesus is my Lord, they knew Jesus was their righteousness. And when they said Jesus is my righteousness, they knew Jesus was their Lord. <laughs> Praise God. So, it's a prophecy of the confession of our righteousness in Christ, which Isaiah prophesied. You know, surely shall one say, in the Lord have our righteousness and strength. Say, in the Lord have our righteousness. And it says, even unto him shall men come. You know what it means? The church, one of the keys to church growth is preaching righteousness. He said, unto, even unto him shall men come. You know why? Because righteousness is the solution to the desperate needs of men. It's a solution to man's need. Yeah. You preach righteousness, church growth. Because that's the message we are supposed to preach. Church growth. And when men are coming to you and the blessings are coming, you are going to be envied. So he said, oh, and all that are angry against you shall be ashamed. So it has already been written. <laughs> because when men come to provoke jealousy and envy, but their incensing or their anger against you will be useless. Hallelujah. Say men are coming to this ministry. Say men are coming. Hallelujah. That is how important righteousness is. That's our foundation. That's our confession. That's our rock. That's the major gift in the New Testament. Praise God. Now I want to demonstrate this whole story, this whole drama of the ages. Alright. So I'll need a chair here. Not even a chair, a throne. Hallelujah. Praise God. All right. Um, say the drama of the ages. Okay, so this is it's a drama. <laughs> I, I like the color blue because it's the throne of God. And the throne is sapphire stone. So sapphire is blue. It, it's, it's <laughs> Okay, so God sits on the throne. So, Pastor Michael, you'll be God today. <laughs> All right. Praise God. Now, I'm going to present to you God's tribunal, God's courtroom. And how this whole thing about our justification was played out. So now, we have God on the throne. Now, understand that when it comes to our justification and how this whole drama was played out, you need to understand that God is judge. Say God is judge. Now, God sits on his throne as the supreme judge of the universe. He is judge. The Bible tells us, Arise, O God, judge the earth, for thou shalt inherit all nations. Psalm 82 verse 8. Judge the earth, for thou shalt inherit all nations. So God is judge. When God was about to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah, Abraham spoke with God. Abraham looked to God and said, 
shall not the judge of all the earth do right genesis 18 verse 25 the last part says shall not the judge of all the earth do right so god is a judge of all the earth so this is a judge the bible says but ye are come unto mount zion and unto the city of the living god the heavenly jerusalem and unto an innumerable company of angels to the general assembly and to the church of the firstborn which are written in heaven and to god the judge of all hebrews chapter 12 22 to 23 and to god the judge of all so god sits as judge say god is judge so he is the supreme judge of the universe this is god's courtroom this is god's tribunal the one that sits on the throne is god he is judge no one can take his place he presides over his courts over his tribunal he is judge but he sits on the throne and there are principles that governs the throne on which he sits on because the throne speaks of his administration now the bible tells us that in psalm 97 verse 2 righteousness and justice are the foundation of his throne king james says the habitation asv says the foundation righteousness and justice are the foundation of his cloud and darkness are run about him righteousness and justice are the foundation of his throne or the habitation of his throne the same thing is repeated in psalm 89 verse 14 psalm 89 verse 14 what does it mean when the bible says that righteousness and justice are the foundation of his throne that means that this throne this throne if god is judging he must judge with righteousness and justice he operates by righteousness and justice now when god in god's tribunal in god's courtroom he himself has set forth a legal system by which he will govern the world and he himself has subjected himself to that legal system so much that now in the greek the word righteousness the kayo the kayosune literally means covenant justice covenant justice the kayosune covenant justice so much that now when ezekiel saw god's throne the throne was encircled by a rainbow rainbow is, is the covenant so you see the throne but within the throne is a rainbow 360 degrees all of god and his throne are all encircled within the bow <laughs> why even the one who made all things and who has his tribunal he himself has subjected himself to the terms of the covenants of justice so that he himself cannot even break it it is binding so as far as he sits on the throne he must be just and right he must be just and right are you here yeah. so now we have the throne the judge and the throne which he sits on justice and righteousness now for god to save us there are two characteristics that have to be played out in order for him to save us we find that in romans 3 verse 26 but in romans 3 from verse 24 the bible says being justified freely by his grace through the redemption which is in christ jesus whom god has set forth to be a propitiation through faith in his blood to declare his righteousness 
for the remission of the sins which are past through the forbearance of God. Now verse 26 is very important. You have to see verse 26. To declare at this time his righteousness that he might be just and justifier of him which believeth in Jesus. Now listen. For God to save us Number one, he had to be just. Number two, he had to be a justifier before he could save us. What does it mean? These two characteristics are very important. Now, the word just is a noun. Justifier is a verb. He had to be just. Then he had to be justifier. Now, God being just is his nature. Justifying is his action. He had to be just and justifier. He being just, that's his nature. And justifying is his action. Uh, follow me carefully. If God, hmm, how many of you have been to the court before? A few people. Now, assuming you, get, you go to the court and there's this guy who, who, who is a murderer, he, he made it. Everybody knew he made it. But he himself knew he made it. The judge knows he made it. The people know he is guilty. He made it. Then he stands before the judge, and somewhere, somehow, the judge now declares him free from guilt and condemnation. You are acquitted. Go home free. The judge has justified him, but he himself is not just. You understand? The judge has justified him. He's a justifier, but he's not just. Very soon, everybody in town will commit murder. And he will not have the legal right. Yeah. Can you imagine? But for God to justify weakness, he had to be just. But it's not a joke. If the person is, the person is truly guilty, and you have to justify him, how can he be just? <laughs> Are you following? All right. To justify, to let a person go free, you yourself must be just. Hmm. But we call that rectoral just justice. Rectoral justice. And it's not a joke. But understand that God, as the judge on the throne, God is inflex, inflexibly just. Hmm. We call it God's inflexible righteousness. He is inflexibly just. You know what it means? He doesn't bend the rules to suit anyone. Whether you are his son or you are his friend. He never bend the rules. Know that God is never capricious. God will never say, for the wages of sin is death. If you sin, the consequence is eternal damnation. He said it, then the next time he changes his mind and said, oh, I wasn't serious with what I said. Aha, uh-huh, now I can spare you. I can spare you. He's not capricious. He is inflexibly just. He doesn't amend the rules to suit anyone. Hmm. Anyone. <laughs> Some years ago, there was this judge in a city. His son was a thief. He kept stealing. And one day, they caught his son and sent him to the court. And his father was presiding over the court. So the father asked him, Young man, what is your name? Ah. The guy looked around. He was surprised. He said, ah, Daddy, but you know me. He said, I don't know you, young man. What is your name? <laughs> because he's not sitting as a father. He's sitting as a judge. So the right thing must be done. <laughs> Praise God. 
so he is inflexibly just. There is no respect of persons with him. Whether you are the son or the friend, he doesn't look to those things. Right is right, wrong is wrong. He must be just because the throne he sits on is represented by justice and righteousness. He must be right. So he can't justify you if you are guilty. <laughs> to justify you, he must be just. Hallelujah. So we are in God's tribunal. This is how the whole thing began. The whole thing began. Now in God's tribunal, he's the, the judge. But there is a sinner who is the accused. The sinner who is the accused, who stands before God, guilty and accused. The sinner. Who come as a sinner? Now you stand before God. Stand before him. Hmm. He's accused. Now he, this man is representing the whole human race. Because we have sinned and we are guilty and we stand before the thrice holy God. The one who is inflexibly just. Now he's proven to be guilty but how can he justify him? How can he justify him? So in the court there's the judge. And in the court there is the accused. If the accused stand before the judge and there is no one to charge him with guilt, there's no one to accuse him, he can go scot-free. You understand? Because there's no one to point his hands and say, this is what you did. So he can easily go scot-free when there is no prosecution to point his guilt and to accuse him. So now the sinner stand before the judge, then there must be the prosecution who will point hands on him and accuse him. So where is the prosecution? Pastor Emma, come. So you stand here to face this guy. Yeah, yes, you stand here. Because you are there to accuse him before the judge. <laughs> now who is this prosecution? In First Peter 5 verse 8, the Bible said, Be sober, be vigilant, because the devil, your adversary, as a roaring lion, Go it about seeking whom he may devour. Now the devil is called the adversary. The Greek word is the word antidikos. Antidikos. Looks like a woman's name. Antidikos. <laughs> antidikos. Now the word antidikos in, in the Greek is a prosecuting attorney who vehemently opposes the accused. That's a word prosecuting attorney who vehemently opposes the accused and that's him he's here to vehemently accuse him that truly you are wrong truly you are guilty before him but in the courtroom there's a judge, there's the accused there's a prosecution now when the prosecution is pointing hands on the accused and laying charges against him the prosecution needs witnesses witnesses so this prosecution has three witnesses one is himself but there are two others there are two others whom he has as witnesses against him okay so the first witness the prosecution has is called the law 
It's called the law. <laughs> it's called the law. If you look at the way he's standing, the law. <laughs> now, the prosecution, the devil now uses the law to accuse man because man has broken the law. John chapter 5, verse 45. Jesus said, Do not think that I will accuse you before the Father. There is one that accuseth you, even Moses, in whom ye trust. When he says even Moses, he's not talking about the person of Moses. He's talking about the law of Moses. Yeah. For instance, in 2 Corinthians 3.15, he says, even unto this day, when Moses is read, the veil is still upon their faces. Uh-huh. So when the Bible says Moses, he's talking about the law, when Moses is read, the law of Moses. So now, the law accuses him that he's guilty because the Lord says that you have broken me. You couldn't keep me. You couldn't keep me. So the Lord now, the prosecution uses the law against him. He is guilty. He has broken the law. And we know that what things soever the law saith, it saith to them which are under the law. That the whole world may be guilty before God, that every mouth might be stopped. Romans 3.19 says that the law made everyone guilty. But when we read Romans 3, Paul presents 14 grand indictments the law has against humanity. <laughs> that everyone has broken the law. Because you see, there were 613 laws. It's not just the Ten Commandments. 613 laws. And with the law, I'm telling you, even your dressing, the Bible says that in Deuteronomy, if you wear woolen and linen, linen garments together, you've broken the law. It's in Deuteronomy. <laughs> A lot of people you here have broken the law. <laughs> if you have a garden and you sow different seeds in a garden, you've broken the law. <laughs> so the law is strong. So the law says, oh, he is guilty. <laughs> so the prosecution now uses the law. That, oh, and it is confirmed that he is guilty. But he doesn't only use that. He doesn't have one witness. He has witnesses. The second witness is called conscience. But Emmanuel, can you come? <laughs> it's called conscience. <laughs> so conscience, stand here. <laughs> he said, this is my second witness against humanity. Romans chapter 2, verse 14 and 15. For when the Gentiles, which have not the law, do by nature the things containing the law, these have not the law are alone to themselves. Verse 15. Which show the work of the law written in their heart. Their conscience also bear witness, and they are taught in the meanwhile, accusing or else excusing one another. So the conscience is is the second witness. See, the conscience testifies against him. You know why? Someone will say, well, I have not broken the law. But the conscience is within you to say you are guilty. There are certain things the law cannot catch you. For instance, adultery or fornication, the law can catch you. How about last? Ah, can you be in prison for last? No. <laughs> yeah. No, nobody can see you. <laughs> nobody can see it. Uh-huh. Can someone, has someone to, taken someone 
to a court saying that he, she laughed, he, laughed, he lasted after my wife. I know. Uh-huh. So the law is limited in this sense. <laughs> but the question says, where the law failed, I'm there. <laughs> it, it's within. It's within you. <laughs> like hatred. You cannot be taken to court because you hate someone. But you can be taken to court because of murder. Uh-huh. Jesus came and said, look, hatred. He that hated his, his, John says, he that hated his brother is a murderer. So the conscience will testify hatred, but the law will testify for murder. Uh-huh. So what the law could not even reach, the conscience is there to testify. <laughs> yeah. Yes. He looked, the conscience says, oh, this guy, he has been looking too. He is guilty. And someone can say, oh, I'm, I'm not a Jew, I'm a Gentile. The law was not given to me. So the law cannot accuse me. He says the law cannot accuse me because the law was not given to me. That's why conscience will come. <laughs> Even if the law cannot charge you, I'm a witness against him. Uh-huh. Because I keep accusing him. That's a conscience. Now this is how the story played out in the book of Romans. Yeah, the book of Romans in chapter 2. Paul said all men are guilty because of conscience. Chapter 3, we are guilty because of the law. Then, the chief prosecuting witness. So he's the chief prosecuting witness. In fact, he brought these witnesses. He's the third witness. He's the chief prosecuting witness. He is there to accuse this guy vehemently. So the conscience accuses, the law accuses. And the Bible said... John said, I heard a voice out of heaven saying, now has come salvation and strength. <laughs> the kingdom of God and the power of his Christ. Why? Because the accuser of the brethren is cast down, which accused our brethren the day and night. So, Revelation 12 verse 10 says that Satan is the accuser of the brethren. So, these are three accusations. But he himself is the chief prosecuting witness. So, he says, he points his hands and said, he is guilty. I'm, I'm a living witness. I saw it. I was there. Why? Because I'm the tempter. I tempted him. <laughs> and he succumbed to the temptation. I was there. From when he was a child in crash to university, the guy sinned every day. I, I was there. So he is there to point hands. Praise God. Now imagine, so now God is on the throne as a judge. This man is accused. And these are the witnesses against him and all their witnesses are true. All their witnesses are true. Now, because this one says that, the chief prosecuting witness says that, <laughs> you better condemn him because I sinned against you and you condemned me from your presence into eternal damnation. And he has done the same thing. So he deserves what I deserve. Because you are just and right. You must be right. You must be just. Since you condemn me, you have to condemn him. <laughs> so that's what he's saying. At this time, what would a judge do? Because he's proving guilty. The witnesses are true. Everything is right. 
But for him to justify him, he has to be just. Now, if the judge decides to let him go free, you know what will happen. Number one, there will be what is called the travesty of justice. That means the whole, the, all the justice of God will be a charade. It will be a sham. Now, the whole universe will be corrupt. Everyone can do whatever he wants. It's a travesty of justice. The judge cannot tell him to go. Secondly, if the judge now says you are acquitted, whilst he's guilty, and all these things are proven, you know what, what will happen? <laughs> Proverbs 17, verse 15. Let me show what will happen. Proverbs 17 verse 15. Look at what it says. He that justifieth the wicked and he that condemneth the just, even they both are abomination unto the Lord. So, if he justifies the wicked, so now if God justifies the wicked, because he that justifies the wicked and he that condemns the just, both are abomination. Now this is God's own legal system which is set in place. And he's bound to it. So if God now justifies him, he himself becomes an abomination. Do you understand? He himself becomes an abomination if God justifies him. The third point is that the reason he, could not, he can't justify him is because of the throne he sits on. As long as he sits on this throne, the foundation of the throne is justice and righteousness. As far as you sit on this throne, you must be just. And you must be right. So now if God justifies him whilst he's guilty, God has compromised his throne. God loses the legal right to rule on the throne again. God will now lose his throne. God has compromised the foundation of the throne by doing what was not right. And the throne only functions on justice and righteousness. Now, for God to justify me, he means he has compromised his throne. He, he cannot rule again. God must leave the throne. He has compromised it. God cannot rule again. So that's the critical situation he finds himself in. He finds himself in. The drama of the ages. <laughs> Hallelujah. Hmm. Now listen. If God justifies him, you know what he's saying? The chief prosecuting witness, the prosecution will say, Oh, you have justified him. Now, God now cannot condemn Satan again. God cannot condemn Satan to hell or to the lake of fire. Why? Because if God had justified the wicked, now God is also entitled to justify Satan. <laughs> now, this is what happened in the universe. This is the drama of the ages. So, he can't let him go free. If he let him go free, he has to let Satan go free. Yes. Because Satan said no. Then God has no legal claim against Satan again to destroy him. God cannot. And if God now decides to be, to be just as he is and to, to, to condemn him and do the right thing, then he, the same <laughs> prosecution will come. And accuse him and say, you claim you love him. You are powerless to save the one you love. (laughs) 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 
now, now he comes accusing God to God. Look, all your love, humanity, all that you did for man, you made the world for man. You couldn't even, you are powerless to save the one you love. You couldn't keep your word. Now you accuse God to God. That God is weak and powerless. Brethren, at a time, Satan thought he was going to win the court case. Because now, look at how the whole thing is playing. Now, he has the witnesses. God is bound to his claims. The wages of sin is death. God is not capricious. He cannot violate his word. He cannot be an abomination. He cannot lose his throne. Man is guilty. He loves man. So at, at this time, Satan thought, oh, <laughs> that thing is playing out <laughs> on my terms. Everything will work for me. This is what happened in the universe. This man now is hopeless. You understand? He's hopeless. Because now, there's no way out. What can he do? He's guilty. What should he do? And you see, for him to be free, he has to purge his crime. You know what it means? It means to purge your crime. If you are guilty and you are taken to prison and you are charged with 20 years sentence, sentence of 20 years imprisonment. You have to go through all the 20 years and when you've gone through the 20 years imprisonment, after that, then your crime is purged. That is when you can be justified. But now, the wages of sin is death, eternal damnation, physical death, spiritual death, eternal death. Now, if he decides to bear it, there is no coming back again. So he himself cannot purge his crime. He cannot pay. And moreover, he cannot use his works. Let me show you. If someone, if someone goes to uh, the court, not, not that, if someone murders someone, and no one found out the murder case, the, the, the murder, the one who was, everything was hidden, then a guy later on in life repents and becomes a very good guy, philanthropist, maybe a pastor, winning souls, and this is after five years after the murder. And it is discovered after five years that he murdered someone. Hmm. Will his good works pay for the murder? Once a murderer. Now his good works cannot purge the murder. Why? Because beneath his good works is a crime unaccounted for. Hmm. So man is guilty. All his good works cannot atone for his crime. That's why the Bible says, not by works. Lest any man should boast. For by grace are ye saved through faith. And that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. Not of works. Not of works. For by the works of the Lord shall no flesh be justified in the sight of God. <laughs> so people are trying to use their works to, to, to merit God's favor. That's a situation they find themselves. So works cannot pay for it. Hmm. So that even makes his case worse. All these witnesses against him. Works cannot pay for it. God's throne is at stake. God must also be just if he would justify him. So this is how it was. So, 
For 4,000 years, this is how the whole world was. This was a scene. God is on the throne, nothing is happening. Man is guilty. <laughs> Man is guilty. Satan is strong because his proofs are correct. This man is guilty. Oh, wretched man that I am. Praise God. Hallelujah. Do you get the story? So God is on the throne. This is man. And God wondered that there was no man. He wondered that there was no intercessor. In the court, there is the judge, there is the accused, there is a prosecution. It's left with one. And all of a sudden, someone stood up that I'll be his defense lawyer. I'll be his advocate. This is a man's advocate. <laughs> He's the heavenly man. He came as the advocate. He came as the defense lawyer. First John chapter 2 verse 1 and 2. Let the children distance right eye unto you, that ye sin not. So if any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father. Jesus Christ the righteous. And he's a propitiation for our sins. Not for ours only, but for the sins of the whole world. So the advocate is the defense lawyer. So he showed up. So I have come to defend him. <laughs> Hallelujah. He showed up. Now understand this. But this lawyer showed up in a court. He, show, he shows up not just to speak for his client, but to take the place of his client. He comes as a surety. No, a surety. You have a debt you cannot pay. Someone comes as a surety. Now he comes to take your place to pay all your debt. So he comes as a surety. He comes to take the place of his client. <laughs> what an advocate. Something happened years ago during the First World War in Germany. Now during the First World War, 900, 900 soldiers violated certain international law. And the world court declared them guilty and sentenced all of them to death. So when they lined them up to kill all the, all the 900 soldiers, the former crown prince of German stood up and said, I don't want them dead. I want to die for their sake. During the First World War, I want to die for them. So he showed up. That, that's bravery and that's love. Is that not so? But on the other hand, it was also useless. Because the crown prince did not carry in himself the value and the worth of 900 men. He did not carry in himself the value and the worth of 900 men. He could only die for one. He couldn't die for 900. Because he's not worth that much. It's like someone is owing $1 million and you have $1,000. You want to pay. You have a good heart to make the payment. But the, what you have is too low. It cannot match up for it. <laughs> it's, a, it's a drop in an ocean. So he could die for one, but not for 900. But when this advocate descended from heaven, what is the worth of the advocate that came? What is his value? Look, he is surpassingly 
<laughs> Let me show his, his surpassing preciousness. His inestimable worth. Because this advocate himself is the creator of the universe. This advocate is the maker of men. This advocate, he himself is a thrice holy God. <laughs> this advocate, you know who he is called? He is the holiness of holinesses. <laughs> he is the son of righteousness. All things are his. Everything belongs to him. He is worth all of us. I mean, his worth and his value is beyond all of us put together. So he carried in himself the worth that is far, far much more than all of us put together. Hallelujah. Because by him were all things created that are in heaven and that are on earth. Whether visible or invisible, principalities, powers, or dominion or might, all things were created by him and for him. <laughs> and he is the living word of God. Because in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. And all things were made by him and without him was not anything made that was made. <laughs> that is his surpassing worth. Who is he? God, who at sundry times and in diverse manners speak in time past to the fathers by the prophet, has in these last days spoken to us by his son, whom he has appointed heir of all things, heir of all things, by whom also he made the world, who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person, and he upholding all things by the word of his power, when he had by himself purged our sins, sat down at the right hand of the throne of God, being made so much better than the angels. He's far, far better than the angels. As he has by inheritance, obtained a more excellent name than they. For which of the angels said he at any time? <laughs> ah. <laughs> hmm. Sit down at my right hand until I make thy enemies thy footstool. And again, he said, I'll be to me a father, a father, and he shall be to me a son. And again, when he bringeth his only begotten, his first begotten into the world, he saith, let all the angels of God worship him. He, his worth is more than all the angels. His worth is more than the universe because he created all of you. Praise God. So we can say that if you were owning one million dollars, that's one, it's a hundred trillion dollars. So he showed up. Hallelujah. Now he came to take his place. And all the punishment that he deserved now comes on him and he dies for him all the case all the penalty all the judgment all the diseases all the sicknesses he bears all of it Romans 4 verse 25 who was delivered for our offenses and was raised again for our justification so he was delivered for our offenses. The word delivered is the Greek word paradidomi. Now paradidomi, it's, it's a technical term, legal, judicial. It was used in those days by the courts and by the police. Paradidomi is when the authorities delivers a presumably guilty person to be punished for his guilt and offenses. So he was delivered. The word delivered means he was delivered judicially, legally, officially. Because of his guilt, he was delivered for our offenses. So Jesus now died 
and bore all our offenses, all our penalty, everything, everything. Now, the Bible says that then he was raised for our justification. Now, look at these two things. When Jesus died, our offenses were paid, were paid for. But if he had not risen, we would not have been justified. When Jesus died and paid a debt, we were forgiven. But if he had not risen, we would not have been justified. What does it mean? His resurrection was very important. Let me give a scenario. Now, assuming that there are two brothers who live in Ghana. One of them died. But when he died, he had children. He had children before he died. And when he died, they found out that he was actually owing and the debt was heavy and the debt kept growing. It was owing big time. And his creditor does not live in Ghana. He's in the U.S. So he comes down to Ghana <laughs> and goes to the court. And when he goes to the court, he gets a declaration for his favor. Now what must happen is that all the properties that the man had, the court is laying claims on all the properties he had. And even all the properties the man left for his children, the court is now claiming everything. I follow him. Claiming everything. All right. So this man comes to win the declaration from the court and goes back. But the debt is growing. The debt keeps growing. It's growing. And the kids are also around. The children are around. Now the children now remembers that he has a brother. So they go to appeal to his brother, his twin brother. Now this is what is happening. Can you help us? Now his twin brother has no children. So what he does is that he goes to sell all his properties to get the money. Then travels to US to meet the creditor. Then hands over all the sums of money to him. But my brother owed you and I'm here to pay everything. So he pays everything and every debt his brother owed, then he gets the receipt. Now that everything was paid, the debt is cancelled. The brother's children are forgiven. But they are not yet justified. Why? The debt has been paid to the man in the US. But the court case in Ghana has not changed. The court does not know that a debt has been paid. The court will need a proof that the debt has been paid. The proof that the debt, because the court case is the same, it has not changed. It, it was adjourned. The, the case will still come on. He doesn't know things like that. Now, the brother must come back to Ghana with a receipt of payment to the court to prove that the debt has been paid. But assuming he paid the debt in America, then on the road back, coming back to Ghana, he dies. Hmm. The debt has been paid, but there's no justification. The court has not legally declared him to be free from condemnation. Praise God. That is why when Jesus died, 
When he died, he paid. His death settled it. Is that not so? But that was not all. That is why when he died and he resurrected, do you know that Jesus ascended twice? Yeah. When Mary was about to touch him, he said, touch me not, for I am not yet ascended to my father. <laughs> but go tell my brethren, I go to my father and your father and my God and your God. Why? Because he had to present the receipts of the payment to so when Jesus died he had to go back to the courts the tribunal of heaven and present the receipts and the proof of the payment so now he stood before the judge and now the judge asked him have you paid all the debt then he said yes I have paid now the judge asked him what are the proofs of payment then he shows his hands then he shows his side <laughs> show your hands to him and show your side then present your blood <laughs> praise God so he himself becomes the living receipt he's the living receipt of the payment so he shows his hands shows his side and shows his blood the ransom price as a proof that it has been paid then you know what the judge will do then the judge because in the mind of justice when he took his place it was as though he himself was dying whatever this man went through was this was what this guy went through in the mind of justice because he was his surety so when he died when he died he actually died because he took his place in the mind of justice. Praise God. So, now that he has paid, they called the accused. Now the judge now asks the prosecution. Do you now have anything against him? He, he asks the chief prosecuting witness, the law and the conscience. Do you have anything against him? And they said, no, we've lost our grounds. We've lost our grounds. Now, on the accounts of what has been paid, the judge now declares there is now therefore no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. Now, the court issues a declaration that from henceforth, Satan, the law, and the conscience have no ground to condemn him and that any judgment in the future that will come against him is null and void because the payment was once and for all for all time which he has paid so now the judge declare him free justified you are free you are justified you are acquitted now he is just and justifier <laughs> he is just to justify him now he can justify him without losing his throne because justice is satisfied the requirement of justice has been met the demands of justice has been met the price has been paid the debt is cancelled so he is free forever now the court has made a declaration this man can never be condemned again 
Romans 5 verse 9. Much more than being now justified by his blood. Being now today, today, presently justified by his blood. We shall be saved from wrath through him. The believer in Christ can never go to hell. No believer in Christ can ever go to hell. Not in any way, legally, judicially. It cannot. Those who go to hell are those who refuse to believe. They say that we don't need him. We need our own punishment. <laughs> the Bible says that who was delivered for our offenses and he was raised for our justification. He was raised again. So now this man, look, he went back to the court with the receipt. He is the living receipt. Understand this. <laughs> what is the proof of your justification? Your receipt. The problem is only when you lose the receipt that you have problems. But the decree, decree has been made. Your receipt will never die. Your receipt is, is ever living. And as much as he's sitting on the throne, he's a proof that you are justified forever. The Bible says who was raised again. The word raised again is in the perfect tense. It is used 15 times in 1 Corinthians 15. Nine times it is in perfect tense. You know perfect tense? That means that now you are justified past, present, and future. Perfect tense means permanent results. Because he's permanent. And as much as he's alive, you are forever justified. <laughs> now look at what happens. Now, the judge has now proclaimed him justified. Is that not so? Okay. Now, look at what is happening now. Presently, what is happening? Now, God's justice formerly used to be against him. Now, God's justice is now on his side. So today, you remember we said in Proverbs 17 verse 15, that he that condemns the just and he that justifies the wicked, the abomination. So previously, if God had condemned, if God had justified him, God would have been an abomination. You, you understood. But right now, because justice has been met, and it has to be right, if God now condemns him, God will be an abomination. Because he made the laws himself. That's his legal system. <laughs> so now that the price has been paid, if, if he just, if he condemns him, <laughs> if he condemns him, whilst the, the thing has been paid, God becomes an abomination. That's a serious thing. That is why the Bible says that, but now, the righteousness of God, apart from the law, is revealed. The New Testament is the revelation of God's righteousness. It's strong. God bound himself with justice so that our faith will not be shaken. Hallelujah. Number two, if God now says you are con the believer is condemned, God has compromised his throne. God can lose his throne. Because previously, previously, if God, the judge, had justified him, it was a problem. Because he is guilty. He could lose his throne. Because the throne is founded upon justice and righteousness. But now that he is justified and acquitted and justice is satisfied, if God now condemns the just, 
God has compromised the foundation of his throne. God does not have the legal right to reign and to sit on the throne again because he has touched the foundation, the base of his throne. You see how strong your, your salvation is. <laughs> strong your salvation is. That's how strong your salvation is. God's justice is now on your side. Nothing can be done again. That is why the gospel is not even the revelation of the love of God. It's not the revelation of the mercy of God. It's not the revelation of the grace of God. It's the revelation of the righteousness of God. And grace reigns through righteousness. In righteousness, God's love is manifested. <laughs> no, the whole thing is legal and judicial. God couldn't have said, oh, I love you, but freely go. No, he would have been just. So it wasn't a matter of love now. It was love that delivered his son for you. But it was his justice that is playing out here. Uh -huh. So the gospel reveals God's justice, God's righteousness. In it, we find his grace. In it, we find his love. But the foundation, so this is God's justice playing out, the drama of the ages. So now God's justice is now for you. God cannot condemn the believer even if he wants to. <laughs> In the same way, he couldn't justify the unbeliever even if he wanted to. <laughs> Hallelujah. Being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God has set forth to be a propitiation through faith in his blood to declare his righteousness. The Greek says to declare his covenant justice. This is how his justice played out in the universe. Can the believer lose his salvation? I've answered the question. The drama of the ages. <laughs> Hallelujah. So today, Satan has no legal grounds against you. Satan's scheme is forever dismissed. Satan's scheme is forever dismissed. The law has been met and put aside. The law cannot come against you. Whatever the conscience has against you, Jesus already paid for it. The conscience cannot go against you. <laughs> Hallelujah. To the praise of his glory. That is why in Isaiah 45, verse 25, it says, In the Lord shall all the seed of Israel be justified and what? Shall glory. Now, the word glory is not glory in the Hebrew. It is actually shall sing in praise. The word for praise there is halal. Halal. Where we get the word hallelujah. But you know the meaning of the word halal? Halal is the same word for madness. When, when David stood before the, the, the Philistine king, he behaved himself mad. The word mad there is the word halal. So the word halal is the word for madness to be beside yourself. Now it means to be clamorously foolish. But that's the word for praise. Where we get the word hallelujah. Now listen, listen, listen. He says, in the Lord shall the seed of Israel be justified and shall sing in. Can you imagine that this guy was hopeless? And look at what has happened to him now. 
based on this revelation, he said, when they are justified, they will halal. They will sing as though they are mad. They will praise as though they are mad. They will be clamorously foolish. That is why when we are praising God for his righteousness. (laughs) David danced and he was naked and David didn't see what we are seeing. David was not justified like the way we are justified. Look at what has happened in history. So our praise should spring. That's what the Bible says. Sing ye praises with understanding. If you sing praises with understanding on the bedrock of your justification, you can roll on the floor. You can remove your seat. You can shout. You can scream like a mad person praising God. You are praising God because you are saved forever. Look at what God has done. This is what is called good news. Now, in the Greek, it is too good to be true news. Too good to be true that if God condemns me, he will lose his throne. Who has heard such things? Now, his throne and his justice is for my defense. So he said, Who shall lay any charge against God's elect? There is no charge against God's elect. And who is he that condemneth? There's no, it is Christ that died. He has taken his place. There is no condemnation. And there is no charge. It's gone forever. We are free forever. Free forever. Lift up your hands and glorify God. God bless you for listening. We pray that the word of God will be rooted and grounded in your heart as you give attention to the word. Kindly follow Pastor T and Love Economy Church on all social networks for more of God's word. Don't forget to subscribe to the Pastoti podcast. Simply search for Pastoti on any podcast app, plug in, and enjoy God's word. Visit our website at loveeconomychurch.org for more information. God bless.